This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, the most requested, listened to, and the most phoned in of the many segments that I do all weekend long, the Animal Welfare Hour. And for all of you who may be just uh, discovering this specialized program, which is unique just to WABC, you can always go back and listen to all the animal welfare podcasts at wabcradio.com. That's wabcradio.com. And now, for your viewing pleasure, all those of you who are animal lovers, we have an animal uh, welfare video that is uh, made once a week for a half hour. There are two already that you can uh, view by going to uh, YouTube and just uh, pressing in Red Apple Media, and you will see the listings of the Animal Welfare Hour, uh, excuse me, half hour with uh, Nancy and myself. And uh, we spent our first two episodes that you can see uh, talking about how to manage uh, feral cat colonies to make homes for them, how to feed them, uh, everything necessary to keep them safe and secure so that uh, they can take care of your needs in battling uh, rodents, mice, and rats. Those are the outdoor cats. And we are going to expand into so many other areas every week. In fact, advise your friends, your family, your fellow animal lovers just to go to YouTube and then type in... uh, Red Apple Media, and you will will see. It's different than what we do on radio. So uh, we're expanding our radius in terms of uh, how it is we might be able to help animal lovers, uh, Nancy, and the animals themselves. Oh, no, I'm I'm super excited about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely if anyone wants to check it out, uh, you can go to also your social media. So if you go to uh, your Twitter or Facebook, um, at Curtis Sliwa, I link to the video uh, that's up on YouTube. So, you know, I, it would be great if anyone has any suggestions for future um, programs because obviously we can't, like, directly interact with people. So that's the way that we can get, like, you know, some feedback in terms of what they'd like to see. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's a number of people who have sent us suggestions, which we'll go through this week and then start working on it collaboratively. But I got to take you to a place that I spent a lot of time uh, at as a kid, the lake in Prospect Park in Brooklyn, not far from the skating rink, and where recently uh, the Canada goose, a.k.a. the Canadian geese that we rescued uh, a winter ago that was almost uh, dead, 
And then the wildlife uh, group was able to uh, save uh, the Canada goose. They named it Curtis. And they let it loose in the Prospect Park Lake so that it could join its other Canadian geese and fly around and enjoy the rest of its life. Well, guess what they just found in that Prospect Park Lake, a four-foot alligator. Could you give us the details? Yeah, so this was, um, I believe it was earlier today, um, the uh, lake, Prospect Park Lake, there was, you know, they saw something floating on the surface of it, which looked abnormal, and it wasn't moving, and then they realized that it was actually this alligator. So the Parks Department uh, personnel, like, they uh, they grabbed something so they could sort of, like, you know, pull it in by uh, the neck, and, you know, they put it into, like, a crate. Now, it looked to be very, you know, it's four feet long. It's It seemed to be malnourished. Like, they had a picture of it. It looked very skinny. And the idea, like, what their, you know, the theory is, is that, you know, uh, someone had it as a as a pet indoors, and obviously it just got too big, and they've decided they can't take care of it anymore. So they thought, well, why not just put it in a body of water, which obviously, um, you know, it isn't a good idea to just um, take domesticated. What I guess this would have been a domesticated pet, but the parks department rep said that no one was harmed. The animal's being evaluated, but unfortunately, it was brought to animal care and control in Brooklyn for that evaluation. So uh, fingers crossed. Oh, no. Animal <laughs> care and control in Brooklyn is in the killing fields of East New York off Linden Boulevard, across from the Cypress Hills Project, St. Fortunata. That is a dangerous area. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure they don't have any um, aquatic habitats or anything suitable for um, an alligator that size. So I'm not sure where they possibly think they're keeping it. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming we'll get little to no details and that the alligator will wind up uh, being euthanized. Well, you know, the interesting thing is when I was a kid, long before you were birthed, uh, Nancy, and before some of our listeners were born, it was the tradition to visit your relatives in Florida, as I did. Uh, my uh, Uncle Jimmy and my Aunt Lucy, they lived in North Miami Beach. You took uh, Old Dixie Highway down there. They called it Old Tobacco Road. And all along the area, they had people who would have uh, tables out, and they would sell little alligators in little boxes. And a lot of people from up north bought the little alligators. They were, like, really tiny. And, you know, you'd play with them and look at them, and then you bring them home, and then all of a sudden, what was one inch became one foot and two foot, three foot, four foot. <clears throat> And people would do the following. They would dump them in a sewer. They would flush them down the toilet. They would put them in Jamaica Bay or places like that. And there were actual reports of alligators who had survived in the sewer systems of New York City as a result of being flushed down there because they could survive. They would eat the rats and the rodents and uh, all of a sudden, an Ed Norton from uh, the Honeymooners who was uh, working in the sewers would go down there and come running up, you know, out of breath. And they'd say, well, what happened? I saw an alligator down there. And they'd say, have you been drinking? No. There's an yeah, alligator and, down and, there. And the one thing that it that it says is that, um, you know, the, the alligator appeared to be in shock, right? So the temperature of the water was cold because it's accustomed to a warmer climate. So it should be in warmer water. But that would make sense that it would be in the sewers then, because that's the same reason that the rats are okay underground in New York City, 
because there's all these underground tunnels. So it's so it's so considerably um, it's so much warmer that they can survive underground. So the water in the sewers would be, you know, equally as warm. Well, it is amazing because we've gone full circle. This is something that was very common in the 60s. And then all of a sudden you never heard of uh, anything like this. And you're right. Somebody must have raised a uh, alligator somewhere, decided it was too big. They couldn't take care of it any longer, and they just put it in the lake. And voila, you got an alligator in the Prospect Park Lake. Yeah, I guess they didn't want to directly bring it to animal care and control because then there is too many questions. Well, you know, uh, in honor of uh, our colleague who is no longer here, he died many years ago, far too early in age, Alan B. Combs, he was a great radio guy in the overnights, and he was on uh, Fox uh, News for many years with uh, Sean Hannity and then on his own. He did a commercial when he was doing Morning Drive at WABC many, many years ago. He was on the observation deck of the Empire State Building, and he said, I'm here to find out if there are ants on the observation deck. And then the second part mm-hmm. of that commercial was he was in the sewers of New York, asking uh, the guys working the sewers if there were alligators in the sewers because those are like urban myths, many of them that turned out to be true. Yeah. Wow. It'll be interesting. We got we got to track because the last time an animal was brought to animal uh, care and control, remember the little deer up yeah, in the polo Yeah, I do remember. Grounds? I do. That all the people were coming out, they were feeding the deer, they were taking care of the deer. It was it was such a great experience. And then Bill de Blasio did an intervention. Uh, they tranquilized the deer. They brought the deer to Animal Care and Control in uh, East Harlem. And to his credit, Andrew Cuomo said, the governor, he said, I'll send animal wildlife experts down. We'll take the deer upstate and release them in the Adirondacks, their natural habitat. Bill de Blasio insisted, no, he's going to stay with animal care and control. And unfortunately, the deer died of uh, shock uh, yeah, within the first day that he was there. I think a human being, if they've ever been in the shelters, you would die of shock. It's frightening. That's a horrible place in many instances. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And here is another story about an animal, when left to the wild, that could figure out how to survive. It is the ongoing uh, legacy of Flacco, the uh, Eurasian owl. They call it an eagle owl uh, throughout Asia and throughout Europe. And they said, well, there's no way that the uh, Flacco could survive. Somebody had cut a hole in the netting in the Central Park Zoo, and it had escaped, and it was flying throughout Central Park, and along Fifth Avenue, and you had all these bird watchers, you know, following it with bated breath, saying, oh, no, no, we've got to, it's only been hand-fed its entire life. It'll never survive in the wilds. <laughs> could you could you tell our audience uh, what Flacco was able to do and what finally the Central Park Zoo decided to do? Yeah, so, uh, so Flacco has apparently been at the zoo since 2010, when it was maybe roughly six months old. So now, you know, the owl's uh, 12 years old, and theoretically maybe it had six months of training, but its instincts um, absolutely kicked in. And, you know, even though they hadn't initially seen um, the owl eating anything, they then observed, um, you know, uh, bones of uh, rodents and things right nearby. So then they realized, okay, uh, they were just missing the fact that this, this bird was eating, 
And there was a petition online started to say, oh, leave this bird alone, because, again, that was the whole concern that, you know, supposedly the zoo was raising from the start was like it, it has no ability because it has been in captivity for so long. Oh, there's no way it's going to be able to do it. But what's interesting is this bird now, what it's called, it's like an opportunistic predator, so which means it hunts virtually any prey within its size range. And the uh, the rodents, the pigeons, things that we have here is right within its um, its range. And it's also an apex predator. So there's nothing else that's going to be attacking this. So that, to me, seems like an odd concern that they would have had, that this particular type of um, owl wouldn't have been able to find its food. Clearly it has. Now they're letting it go. But, again, I don't think – so in, in 20 years, uh, roughly, they say that these birds can live in the wild – but then 60 years in captivity. So had Flacco not gotten out, Flacco had like maybe 40 more years in the zoo. So I'm glad Flacco did escape. Yeah, and by the way, Flacco sits there on top of a tree, looks at all these bird watchers who have their safari hats on, their Boy Scout, Girl Scout shorts on, and their binoculars. As they go, they try to lure him down. Whoop-a-woo! Whoop-a-woo! <laughs> and he looks at them like... Hey, go ahead, go home. I'm nocturnal. I'll I'll feed myself on the rats and the mice late at night, and that's what he's been doing. So, he, and and the leading cause of the of death for these owls um, all across the world, it's just man-made causes, right? So electrocution, traffic. It's not that there's any concern this owl can't make it. It's just that maybe New York City is too dangerous for an owl to live in. And I would suggest to our many listeners of the Animal Welfare Hour that they look at videos you've shown me of my favorite animal as a child, the owl, <laughs> and how the owl walks. They walk like a human being. Yeah, when when they um, when they're going slowly, they don't have to use their wings, and they put their wings back, so it looks like arms just hanging down at the sides. It has it absolutely resembles a person walking upright. Incredible! <laughs> you look at the owl. You say, that's exactly how a human being walks. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of creepy. And smart. Uh, by the way, they are used artificially. Artificial owls. They are posted on windowsills to frighten away street pigeons, which they effectively do because the pigeon knows the owl is a natural predator, so it won't come on the windowsills. And it is the perfect alternative to the many spikes that we have seen New Yorkers putting up on their. They have brownstones and tenements, which do nothing more but maim and torture these uh, street pigeons. And a few years ago, when they were trying to um, uh, reintroduce the this owl population in Germany, they introduced them. And then what happened as a result was the, uh, the rodent population went down. So that was actually a great effect, uh, side effect they had. So that could be the perfect solution for us. You know, they were interviewing uh, an exterminator on television. I forget which channel the other day. Somebody sent me the clip. And the guy has been doing this for about 30 years. And then the reporter asked him, well, what do you think of the Curtis Lee at WABC? He's talking about feral cats and owls as a uh, Mother Nature's way of keeping control of the rat and mice population. And he goes, that's insane. And I say, when will people understand that if they actually opted to use owls and feral cats, outdoor cats, you wouldn't need exterminators? Of course, exterminators are going to say it's insane because this would put them out of business. Yeah, I mean, if you take humans out of the equation, that's what, um, you know, different uh, species do. 
they do level each other out. So us trying to insert ourselves into the equation as though we know better than what naturally happens is, uh, you know, is, is quite curious. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And once again, towards the end of the week, we saw this huge mammoth mammal, better known as a whale, that had come ashore on the Rockaways, as they have so often now along the Jersey Shore, down in the Tidewater Peninsula in the Virginia Shore, and in the South Shore of Long Island. I mean, it seems every few days, Nancy, whether it's Brigantine near Atlantic City or Atlantic City itself or uh, out past Long Beach, whales wash up ashore. They're struggling. You can see it's almost like they have dementia of some type. And they can't, yeah, right. they can't get yeah. back uh, with the rest of the whales. Yeah, on Monday, right after um, the show we did last week, the ninth whale wound up uh, washing up on shore, and on Friday in the Rockaways, the tenth whale has washed up, and just yesterday, uh, three dolphins uh, lost their course. So they they were beached on, on near Sandy Hook. So again, all of this is um, happening uh, in conjunction with the offshore wind energy projects, which is why there's you know so much of a backlash against it. Um, and it's all up, up and down the East Coast, which is where, you know, all of this is occurring. But what's, you know, again, as, as normal, like, you know, as you said, you know, don't trust the government. The people who are speaking on behalf of whether whether or not there is a correlation uh, is called the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, which I like to think of as like the slumlords of the ocean. This is the part of the government that is responsible for leasing out all of the ocean uh, since December, for all of these companies to do what they're doing, and of course they're going to tell you, "Oh, there's no correlation," because they're they're the ones responsible for it. But think of it: there is a conclusion that the sonar that they use in order to embed deep in the ocean surface uh, the stanchions, so that they can put the turbines above the water, is causing the the whales and the whale community to lose their own sort of sense of movement like a divining rod. They're, they're confused. It's like they have temporary dementia forcing them ashore. And uh, I noticed that a lot of the people who advocate uh, green energy, which is good, you know, that the turbines, the windmills are creating, are now siding up against animal welfare activists who really would like green energy too, but they're basically saying, let's stop the construction, let's study this, because this seems to be happening now that you're building the windmills out there. Because they, they want to blame it all on boats, boats. Well, boats have been going for years, and, and whales are pretty good at avoiding the boat, uh, boats and vessels and the large oil tankers and the cargo containers. Uh, but I have a feeling they're not going to budge. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that just stop for now. Let's research this and let's see what's causing the the death and the suffering, really, the torture of these magnificent creatures. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the 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 utter lack of regulation that's happening above ground, you can only imagine what's going on in the ocean where no one can see what's happening. We have to rely on them for letting us know every detail. And again, you can't escape this correlation. And unfortunately, I think that maybe this halt will happen, you know, in these upcoming months because 
it's going to become, you know, quite gruesome to, to continue to see, you know, these whales washing up on shore. And as the summer approaches, I mean, I think that might be the tipping scale to make this stop. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And we have now watched for close to two weeks the aftermath of the Ohio train derailment in what they call East Palestine, Ohio. And I call it, I should just call it East Palestine. I still haven't gotten an answer for that since there's Palestine, Illinois, and Palestine, Texas. But I digress. Apparently, it's not only taking its toll on the community in the surrounding areas. And we've had plumes that have actually come over the Mid-Hudson Valley into Orange County between Newburgh and Poughkeepsie from that chemical spill of those uh, train uh, containers. But now it's taking its toll on a wide variety of animals. Can you explain that, Nancy? Yeah, so, um, you know, basically, so this happened February 3rd. And, uh, you know, initially uh, when they made the decision that they were going to um, do the controlled burn of the uh, several cars that had the toxic chemicals in it, the vinyl chlorides and uh, various other ones, you know, they they had alerted the population within one mile. You had to evacuate, be gone for a few days. But even then, um, you know, animals like uh, pets that were taken with them, um, animals that were on the surrounding area, so everything beyond a mile. So now you have uh, chickens living 11 miles away that are dying and livestock that's getting ill that's nowhere within this area whatsoever. And, you know, it was such a quick um, rush that had to happen. So, you know, again, even people who had um, domestic pets and they brought those pets with them right now, the individuals, they, they were exposed to these things. So they feel, um, you know, like the, the slight effects but the animals that they have, you know, because they're such, they're such smaller systems, those animals um, have been dying and they're being, you know, tested by the veterinarians and they are actually poisoned um, by this. So, again, now this is another example of, you know, not listening to the officials that they're telling you. So Ohio EPA is confirming, oh, yeah, the toxins entered the water, uh, you know, through the burn that we did. And the toxins did, in fact, kill the fish. But no, no, it's okay to drink the water. It's safe. Like, I have no idea how they can make that statement acknowledging that the toxins in the water killed the fish, but go ahead and drink the water. <laughs> like, this is just insane. And the amount of animals that are, that are dying and the people are getting really fed up. And, you know, thankfully, they're making such a noise about it that it's really finally getting some attention to this. We saw it first with the massive number of fish dying. Yeah. Now we see four-legged animals and birds dying or getting very sick. I mean, we know this is going to eventually happen to human beings. And all I hear from the EPA and from the offices of the Secretary of Transportation, Boudicier, and uh, Governor DeWine, so he's the Republican, the others are the Democrats, is trust government, trust government, trust government. And I don't know about you, Nancy, I don't trust either of them uh, as far as you can throw them, Republicans or Democrats, on this issue. I agree. Okay, now the next one is interesting because we're asking people to participate. This is participatory, so please get a pad and a pen as you listen here. Because coming up, uh, in fact, it's tomorrow, right, President's Day, February 20th, 
is National Love Your Pet Day. And what is it that we're asking our many listeners and those who watch uh, on YouTube, uh, the Red Apple uh, uh, Connection, Red Apple Media Connection, you got to go to that to see the half-hour videos that we're making once a week now. They're two in the can. The third one will be up on Wednesday. Uh, what is it we're asking people to do for National Love Your Pet Day tomorrow? Well, if they have pictures of uh, their dogs, uh, cats, both of them, um, I guess we can you know, include any other pets they may have. Um, definitely like post the pictures online. And we would post that on, uh, we could post on like the Facebook site, so like WABC Facebook site. Um, and so it's, it's called National Love Your Pet Day, which basically says, oh, you're supposed to give extra appreciation to and attention to your pet. So whether you're getting them like another toy or a treat or spending some time with them, but, you know, it's just a, a little reminder to give them extra attention. Yeah, and uh, you degenerates out there like Matt Blaze. <laughs> Don't be sending in any uh, pictures of the Playboy bunnies. That's not the kind of pets we're talking about. No. Now, just three days later, back-to-back, belly-to-belly in the same week. So you got National Love Your Pet Day tomorrow. We need you to send in those pictures again. How? Where should they send in those pictures? Well, like I said, so I would say you go to the WABC Facebook site. Because we, because there's a, a whole bunch of ways you can post stuff on there, and then also you can go to your personal site, the Curtis Sliwa uh, Facebook or Twitter, because we always have our posts up about, um, you know, the Animal Hour, or you know, the, we have the videos up there. So just throw up a picture, and uh, you know, your cat, your dog, and whatever treat that you're giving them, or any extra attention they're getting today. And then within the same week on Thursday, February 23rd, it's National Dog Biscuit Day. Yeah, it is, but we don't really celebrate that in the Sliwa household. <laughs> but that's true. We got the 18 rescue cats. But I remember when I had dogs in Canarsie when I was uh, growing up, I had a series of dogs. Uh, my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, who used to uh, go hunting in Italy with a dog, he had a hunting dog called German. He believed you gave uh, the dog the biscuits, A, for their teeth, so that it could clean their teeth, and B, because it strengthened their teeth. And that was back really when uh, dog biscuits were really first coming out and were available in supermarkets. So it's very, very important for the dental health of uh, the dog that they get the right biscuits. Yes, and they they definitely enjoy them. So, so feel free to shower as many on them as you'd like on the 23rd. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. And then finally, uh, before we go to everybody's phone calls, uh, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is going to Poland for the anniversary this week of the start of the war by Vladimir Putin uh, when he invaded the Ukraine. And you were talking to us extensively in the beginning about all the animals that needed to be rescued that people were desperately carrying with them as they went into nearby Poland and Hungary and Czechoslovakia and other countries that were giving them sanctuary, uh, with the local uh, animal shelters now having uh, cared for some of them, they're basically saying, no mas, no mas, they're overloaded. Am I correct? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and, and obviously this is in conjunction with 
um, animals coming from all over the world because of uh, just varieties of different, uh, you know, worldwide tragedies. And again, that's the problem. The shelters have only so much capacity, and it's great that, you know, you're helping them, but then by bringing them here, then there's uh, animals that are going to be unadopted. So, you know, that's really the, you know, the concern, right? So obviously you want to be able to, um, I think that maybe with some of the, the groups, they should, you know, again, it, it, their their goal is to bring them here to, because there's so many strays on the street. Um, I think TNR is always a good concept, you know, wherever any of these um, organizations operate because, you know, that's going to be the goal that keeps the population down ultimately. But I don't really know if you can tell people, okay, you can't bring the animals here. Hopefully you can uh, find as many homes as possible. But, you know, it's a tough issue. I mean, again, if you if you go to Animal Care and Control, the website, right now there was another hoarding case where 80 more than 80 cats just came into the shelters. Mm. I mean, those cats are in need of being adopted like immediately because of this situation. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of them, they're going to need a little time because they are very fearful. So it's, you know, it's like you're going to need people to warm up to them. I mean, these are going to be tough ones to adopt out. And if they get pushed out by other animals, you know, again, they might be tough to adopt. So they might be euthanized first. So, I mean, this is always a problem with the shelters by having this you know, this kill policy that they're constantly picking and choosing who lives and dies. Well, you mentioned TRN, TRAP. TNR. Um, oh, I'm sorry, TNR, right? Yep, yes, correct. TRAP, neuter, release, uh, episode three, which will be available on Wednesday uh, as you go to YouTube and then you follow the Red Apple media listings, you will see the animal welfare half hours. Uh, you're explaining uh, how people can trap neuter and release so that the feral cat population does not multiply so quickly that it then becomes a problem in the community. Yeah, and, and it, it and it sort of bridges the gap between what a lot of people are doing already, which is so great. Like they're out there, um, you know, feeding the cats and, you know, trying to take care of them. But this is how you make sure that, you know, they stay as healthy as they can and then ultimately you know, there's not more being born than can be cared for. They're not going to suffer any, you know, ill consequences because of that. So this is how you really get the population in check and people start to understand how this becomes resolvable instead of that overwhelming feeling. Oh, I can't do, I can't, how can I help them all? Well, this is how you can do it right here. Well, we got a full board of uh, calls as we always do during the animal welfare hour. The most requested uh, the most called into, uh, the most uh, connected of the many hours that I do at WABC. Uh, soon uh, we'll be joined by Dominic Carter as he uh, takes you from 12 to 1 and then the arrival of Frank Morano, who decided it was better to cut the line with his uh, family entourage of 18 people at the William Shatner presentation than to do what I did, Nancy, you would have been proud of me. I refused to cut the line outside of Lenny's today, even though the owners were urging me to do so. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Art with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. To the calls we go. It's Pat in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Pat. Good evening, Curtis and Nancy. Can you hear me okay? Oh, loud and clear. Oh, thank you. Um, I my turn last week. Um, Nancy, this is uh, for you for a declawed cat. 
um, my son had adopted a cat shelter. There were there were litter mates. There were two, but he couldn't take the both of them because they didn't get along. They had to keep them separated. And he took the the one cat, and the person who had owned them had them declawed front Oof. and back. Now my son is noticing that when Tabitha jumps down, she kind of, like her belly goes down to the floor, and if she's sleeping, she'll lick her paw. It it might wake up, and maybe that's a discomfort. And he's wondering what could he maybe give her that would be safe and help her through the discomfort? You know what? Um, Yeah, so that's... Uh, th- that's a, a horrible thing that should be banned, and, and some veterinarians are, you know, refusing to do that now. But uh, now, in terms of the pain, I'm not sure what type of pain management, um, you know, in terms of maybe um, medications that they were prescribed. But I do know when you have the the cats because they're they have the issues with their claws. Um, anything that can minimize the you know the stress on them so i know litter becomes an issue for them so um sometimes the litter boxes the actual litter itself is difficult for them to step on and it's painful and then it might lead to them stop uh using the litter box so there's a number of things um that are going to be mindful of in ter- like and also in terms of the jumping my guess would be because of the you know intense pain that's on the paws like the, i have around the apartment here and but this is for the cats they have trouble walking maybe the steps so anything that would make it easier than having to jump from surfaces because i think at this point it's going to be anything that would be um soft surfaces the litter is going to be important and things that will prevent uh from having to jump and then if uh the veterinarian might be able to prescribe something but yeah i'm not sure what would be done for a long term thing um it may be that there's something that they can soak on the feet again. I'm not sure what uh, is prescribed for that, but I do know that it's long and a painful process. And then it does lead to, you know, some of the issues with the joints because it's tough for them to walk on it. So I think making the walking easier is going to help. Let's go to Anthony in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Anthony. Hey, Curtis. How are you doing? It's my first time calling into you. Um, Matthew, how are you? Thank you for your services. It's great Thank to you. you. Um, I just wanted to say that, you know, the, the whales and these turbines, the windmills, um, I don't know so much that it's, the, it's the, the pounding of the tilings and the installation of the windmill, but maybe if it's the sound that trans, you know, it, 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 that transfers into the piling into the course of the earth. It, no, no, Anthony, mouth. Anthony, you got to put your mouth up on the speaker. You're coming in very muffled. Yeah, can you hear me good now? Yeah, are you on right. speakerphone? No, I'm not on speakerphone. I'm on I'm on regular phone. I took it off the speaker once I got connected. All right, you, that's, you that's to... much better. Go ahead. Um, I don't know if it's the if it's the sound of them pounding the pylons into the earth to to to, um, to build these uh, windmills, but but after they're already built, the sound that transfers into the pylon into the crust of the earth might be you know throwing these wheels off course. And if they're already built, they're not going to take them down if that's what's causing the problem. I, I, I don't. I well, don't well, well I think it. I think Anthony, uh, there's a failure to want to even uh, consider that that might be the reason that so many whales are washing ashore badly injured. Uh, we know that the sonar they're using to find the spots on the ocean's um, floor surface 
uh, is uh, probably impacting the whales because they they communicate, they make the sounds uh, in their communication that enable them to communicate with one another and to bounce off of other objects in the ocean. That's how they know uh, beyond sight uh, where things are in proximity to them. And this uh, sonar, without a doubt, I, I would think, Nancy, is giving them all kinds of consternation, and it's almost like maybe even causing a form of dementia. Yeah, and I think, I mean, again, and to your point, I think this attempt to go out of their way to distance themselves from this this clear correlation doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, the oh, the whale bodies are showing trauma from ships. So therefore, trauma from ships is not the wind turbines, right? That's their logic. But there's more ship you know, vehicular traffic going on. And then in terms of the sonar interruption, you know, so now you have, it's almost like having a green light in every street. So the whales just think, oh, I can go wherever I can go. They might be ramming into the ships because you're messing up their sonar. There's a clear correlation. The fact that you're you're refusing to acknowledge it is really just hampering the, uh, the ability to find out what exactly it is. Is it the ship? Is it the sound? What is it? Let's go to Tom in Rockland. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Tommy. Yeah, Curtis and Nancy, uh, listening uh, to your show. I'm thinking about these uh, the poor owl and feral cats. I mean, feral cats kill over 2 billion uh, birds a year in the United States. And they should, uh, shouldn't they get this owl back in the caves before a feral cat nails it? Well, I think the owl would get the feral cat. Yeah, I, I, I think in the case of some birds, you're absolutely right, Tom. That's why oftentimes cat lovers are pitted against the national wildlife groups that uh, care for the fowls, the birds. But uh, you look at the owl. There's no feral cat going to be messing with no owl, that's for sure. It has a six-foot wingspan. I don't. I don't think a cat would be able to to handle that. No, and if you notice, the owl has a very penetrating look, and at night it comes down, it swoops in. Even a cat, as as well as its hearing is, might not even have known that that uh, that owl came uh, by with its talons, its razor like talons, and well. Next. Yeah, there's a reason it's an apex predator. Yeah, no, no, I, <laughs> I don't think any cat is going to want to mess with an owl. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, Jerry, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Jerry. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Just two quick questions. The risk-reward of Flacco eating a rat that ingested rat poison. And also, I know you, you are... Like the idea of feral cats as a treatment for rat population, but also for feral cats to eat rats that ingested. All right. Well, no, that, that that's an excellent uh, point, Jerry. So many of the rats have been fed poisons that they're able to now process in their system, Nancy, because they become immune to some of the poisons. But let's say, as an example, as Jerry pointed out, Flacco comes down, as it's been reported at night, he's feeding on rats and mice in Central Park, wild rats and mice. Uh, or it's a feral cat who grabs a rat or mice and bites into them. If the poison is in the system of the rat or the mouse that is being preyed upon, 
isn't it a very real danger that the predator, in this case, uh, Flacco the owl or a feral cat, might get poisoned themselves? Well, right, depending upon its sensibilities. So it may. Now, this could also account for why they're so aggressively trying to, um, you know, initially they were trying to, you know, uh, bring this owl back in because that would have been a total disaster to have Flacco die from eating a poisoned rat. Um, but and then, but to the the question of the cats, yeah, understood. Obviously, I, I don't want the cats living outdoors to encounter the rats, and again, right, to eat them, uh, to chomp into them, to get sick uh, by virtue of the poisons. But the cats are already out there, and the goal is just to uh, spay and neuter them so you bring the population down, right? So until they're fixed, until the population is taken taken care of, no matter what. They're already out there eating the poison, so that's just a, a reality for them. And them being unfixed, it makes it even worse because there's that many more of them eating the poisons. Let's go to Julie in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Julie. Good evening. Uh, I take care of a feral cat that's been fixed. I uh, feed her every day and everything. But I just want to know, is there something I should be giving her to, like, pre- uh, preventive kind of stuff since I can't get her any vaccines? Well, I mean, again, like, uh, it, it could be the nutritional supplements um, uh, that you can put in the food where you can mix that up. Um, you can try mixing in maybe, like, uh, some people food with it that maybe is, like, a little bit of nutritional boost. Um, if you think you can, you know, sort of mash something up really small enough. Um, so it's, like, you know, better than uh, just uh, standard sort of over, uh, cat food. Um, yeah, so I think something like that. But definitely but, nutritional supplements I think are great. They're, like, they're paste, and you can just mix them in real well. But there's nothing, like, for fleas or anything like that, like, uh, uh, to give them, to give her? Well, you know what? The, the fleas is, is, is a tough one because if you have the ability to brush them, um, like, you get close enough to brush um, there are uh, some topical things you can do, even natural topical things you can put on that can address um, the fleas issue. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, most of the stuff would be uh, you'd have to be able to get close enough to touch the neck. I don't know how advisable it would be doing that if, if you can get close enough. But, you know, it depends. Let's go to Richard in Clifton. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Rich. Hello, Curtis and Nancy. Um I was wondering if you ever heard there's an alternative to the uh, the poison for the rats, and it's called contrapest. I don't know if you ever heard about it. It's, I have heard of that. Okay, and it's supposed to be very effective. They eat it. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't kill them, but it makes them infertile, the male and the female rats. And I think this is something the city should be uh, investing in. Well, uh, you I- know, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think, Richard, what most people don't understand and the reason that I appointed myself the rat czar of New York City at night, and if you notice, uh, Mayor Eric Adams still has not appointed an official rat czar, is a rat only lives about a year. Are you aware of that, Richard? No. Only one year, male or female rat. Now, the female rat in their brief life of a year could have as many as six or seven litters of little rats, anywhere from eight to 12 per litter. So you have two rats, and within a year's time, you now have well over 120 rats, and then they're procreating. So that's an excellent idea to be able to put the feed out for the rat, 
that will cause them to not be able to then create little baby rats. And that is a way to have detente with them because, Richard, we're never going to beat the rats. We're never going to destroy the rats, declare war on the rats. It ain't happening. It's never existed in the history of men and women since Earth began and they will be here after we well leave. Uh, God forbid there's uh, an apocalypse situation, a uh, nuclear situation. They'll survive. We won't survive. They think they're going to declare war on the rats, Nancy. War on the, they live only a year, and yet they beat us time and time again. But on that note, what are the different ways that people who need to have a conversation with you directly about issues that they're having involving animals can communicate with you? Well, they can visit um, uh, guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab. Um, they can email me, uh, nancy at guardianangels.org. And, uh, you know, definitely check out uh, the animal, the uploads of the, the videos we just did uh, on your social media. That's right. There will be a third episode of the brand new video series exclusive to WABC. You go to YouTube and you look at Red Apple Media, the link, and you will see the third episode up there on Wednesday. Every Wednesday, a new episode is posted. It's a half hour about trapping, neutering and releasing of the feral cat population so that they themselves don't end up becoming a problem because they procreate too much. And then, of course, if you're interested in listening to previous Animal Welfare Hours, exclusive again to WABC Sunday nights from 11 to 12, all you got to do is go to the podcast. You'll see Nancy, you'll see a picture of myself, and you'll see us with some of our 18 rescue cats. You hit that, and you can listen to a wide variety of previous shows. So, we're really uh, upping the ante here, Nancy, of giving uh, many listeners and those watching our videos many more opportunities to engage us and get involved in caring for animals, both indoors and outdoors. Yeah, I look forward to everything going forward. It's going to be a great year. Oh, yeah. And uh, just keep it up. Uh, we'll have episode four. We're filming it on uh, Wednesday. And remember, each and every Wednesday, a new video episode will appear available to all of you on YouTube. Just go to Red Apple Media, type that in, and you'll see the episode of that week and of the previous weeks. Exclusive here to WABC, your station, bringing you animal welfare updates. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.